Welcome back, everyone. This is NYU grad recording on Wednesday, August 2nd. Uh, we got to meet a little bit earlier in the evening. It's 9.30 uh, New York time, but today was a really busy day. Um, I had a lot going on, not just with the Substack and financial markets, but just personal stuff I had to get um, completed. But welcome back to a very exciting session today. Uh, I think it took uh, maybe a few by surprise, but if you've been listening to the podcast, I believe it was about a week ago, I noted that I wouldn't be surprised if we see a broad sell-off day coming where we see a drop of 2% across the board on indices as well as the Magnificent 7. There were a lot of things, uh, market indicators that I was tracking that I was sharing with everyone that listened uh, to the podcast, what I was kind of focused on, one being breadth, one being the uh, negative divergence, especially in Apple and a few other Magnificent Seven. Um, I keep harping on the tapped out consumer who I truly feel is buckling right now. And it's not really being reported on across um regular television news um and you know as you've probably heard unless you've been living under a rock fitch downgraded america's creditworthiness from triple a to aa plus after hours on tuesday uh the pre-market leading up to today's session was weak but not like crash worthy right not like how we ended the day but once we opened up the sell-off was pretty consistent throughout the day and pretty strong strong enough where i was looking at the nysc advanced decline shares and nysc advanced decline volume up down it was just pinned to selling so even at like 3 30 I knew there was not going to be a successful end of day ramp into the close and we just continued to sell off to the lows. So kind of um, before I jump in uh, to the actual market dynamics and and what happened today, there's a little bit of uh, housekeeping that I wanted to share and also ask the community. If you could email me your thoughts on this, I would greatly appreciate it. My email is nyugrad at substack.com. You can also find me at nyugrad at protonmail.com as well. Either uh, will be fine. But I've been on Substack for a little under two years. Actually, a little over two years, but it's been on and off in the beginning during the pandemic, I started writing during the pandemic COVID lockdown. And just to share a little bit of personal information, um, as some of you may know, I worked at a startup that eventually got acquired by Adobe and um, have experience uh, working and managing a small team, a global team at Adobe for a few years. Uh, and then I took a little bit of a break from that. I was kind of burnt out. And then someone had tapped my shoulder to help build and scale out a company that was part of the SoftBank uh, Vision Fund. And I was doing that for a while. And um, 
and I'm not asking for sympathy here, but one of my family members uh, were diagnosed with cancer, so I was helping them get treatment. So there was a lot going on, so I kind of stopped uh, writing on Substack. Um, and first and foremost, I want to thank all the subscribers that stuck there, stuck with us at, at nyugrad.substack because I had almost zero attrition. No one left. Uh, and then I started to write again, and it seemed like it was starting to grow a little bit, um, and it's really picking up now. So I have you guys to thank. But the, 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 to get to the point, one thing I wanted to ask was, do you also consume content on Twitter? And the reason why I'm asking is, uh, Doomberg, who I follow um, since the beginning and subscribe to, they have posted this morning that they're moving away cold turkey from away from Twitter and moving everything to Substack and um, leveraging Substack notes as kind of the Twitter X replacement. And as I've started really to kick in gear and giving content every day, multiple times a day, I also try to share this on Twitter or X. And it just feels like I'm still getting majority of new subscribers through the Substack network. The, um, the conversion rate from X slash Twitter is very low. I mean, we're talking like 1% of the content that I generate on uh, Twitter uh, converts to even viewership views and impressions on Substack. So I'm thinking as well to slowly wean myself off of X slash Twitter and just focusing all of my efforts on podcasting, sharing the charts, sharing the notes and the uh, intraday commentary through notes, through the chat and through the uh, regular posting and emails into your inbox. And then obviously the podcast will be available on Substack, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. And I might upload the podcasts to YouTube just to kind of be an upper funnel metric. But I wanted to ask you guys, if you are a subscriber to NYU grad, our Substack, would you care if I don't post anything on Twitter anymore? I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Just email me or leave a comment below the show notes. I'd be curious. Uh, but with that said, let's kind of jump in. Um, so obviously today was a red day. Uh, the Dow closed down 1%. The NASDAQ closed 2.17%. The S&P closed 1.38% uh, down. And the Russell closed down 1.37%. Pretty much all of the Magnificent 7 were red, uh, some more than others. You had Microsoft down 2.6, Apple down 1.5. These are percentages. Google down 2.4, Amazon down 2.6, Tesla down 2.6, but NVIDIA was down 4.8. So that was the biggest loser of the Magnificent Seven. Uh, you had a few defensive names. So when you have days like this, right, think of the stock market as a pool, right, a pool of money. And it just kind of shifts and shuffles from different asset classes and different shares um, you know, obviously there's new liquidity that comes in from the Fed, but for this exercise, just think of it as a finite pool. 
So all of the hot money moves away from risk assets and quickly finds a home with less risky assets like AbV, um, Eli Lilly, Merck, UNH, J&J, uh, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, Walmart. Lockheed was down like 10 cents, but that's why the terminology of guns and butter comes into play. People move from tech heavy to guns and butter, right? Like Lockheed Martin uh, and, and Procter and & Gamble. Um, so that was kind of the uh, general consensus of the day. It was risk off all day. And I don't want you to take your, your eye off the ball. So yes, tomorrow is a big day for Amazon and Apple. But let's get real. Apple and Amazon has a history of beating low expectations, low barriers, low bars. Uh, they always get layups. They always beat. The key will be how prices react on Friday or after the close tomorrow because they're, they're reporting after hours. Um, you know, they're not going out of business, right? Apple and Amazon's not going anywhere, but they're just so big. You know, I think it's going to be the story of, uh, well, number one, AI. How are they using AI to maximize their profits and earnings? But where are they going to see top line growth moving forward? Because uh, it's always impressive to see companies like Walmart, Amazon, Apple, Google, Meta uh, grow at scale at like 30%, even though they're so huge, right? So I think Wall Street and everyone in the world is going to be looking at their growth rates and where they're placing their bets for the future. And it's really going to be the reaction that matters, right? Like Apple might say, hey, surprise, we have a self-driving car coming out next year for $15,000. If that happens, Apple's going to fly, right? Like, let, let's see what they say. Let's see how things react. But when I look at today, after having you know, so many green days, so many green weeks, so many green months for the market, it's just one bad day. Everyone is just panicking, right? And trust me, and I'm revealing myself to you, I'm a cynic at heart. I doubt everything that I see or read, which helps me in analyzing stocks and charts. But it also hurts me because my natural propensity is bearish, right? It's easier for me to go short than go long. The long story has to be so great, such a no-brainer for me to go long. Like when oil went to basically nominally zero, that was a no-brainer long for me. Like, okay, you know, if USO and UCO is like almost at zero, easy buy, okay? Um, you know, those are the type of trades that I look for to go long. I'm typically looking for blow-ups because no one else really is good at looking for blow-ups or less, less people are good at that. And that's what I try to specialize in. But, but again, like I don't share too many um, tickers as like watch lists on the free side because of the chance that people say, oh, you told me about this company. Again, I am not your financial advisor. I'm trying to build a great network of a community through NYU grad Substack, uh, where we can share ideas 
as initial jump-off points for research. And one of those ideas that I did share was Extreme Networks, EXTR. They've been on a tear for months. And today, and I'll go through all the numbers later, but they were they reported earnings and they were up quite a lot today despite everything being red. So that's another sign that I look for. If I'm going to go long in, in the company, they have to be growing. They have to be in an industry that's growing. And they have to be executing as a company very well. And I, and I, saw, I started to see that in Extreme Networks. Uh, so everything has to line up for me to go long. Um, it's just, you know, I'm looking for those next Apple, those, those next Amazons out there. Um, and eventually, once I do open up uh, a paid membership, I will be sharing a watch list of those type of names, both long and potentially bearish, with suggestive ranges where you might think about getting into those positions after you've done your own homework. That will be coming. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is everyone is panicked after today. It's like the world is ending. We had one red day, and it was like not even that bad. I mean, yeah, it was bad, but in the whole scheme of things, right, it, it wasn't that bad. But let's go look at the forest and not the trees. So when you take a look at currencies, and I, and I brought this up yesterday and how we're all currency traders without choice. Um, I have no proof of this. But when Fitch downgrades America's credit rating, I have to wonder, was that something that they were instructed to do? Because all these agencies, Moody's, Fitch, uh, they have access to this data before anyone because they have to rate all of these assets and, and financial instruments. So for them to downgrade America's credit rating now at the you know, you know, it's been so many years where we've been operating at uh, irresponsible levels of every time we have a debt ceiling, they 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 hem and haw on the news. Oh, it's going to be a disaster if we don't raise the debt ceiling. I have never seen it not raised. It, it, we just keep raising the debt ceiling, uh, and we just keep spending. And our interest payments, just the interest payments on the national debt is approaching $1 trillion. That alone is going to cripple this country longer term. Uh, you know, my opinion, yes, we are the reserve currency. But objectively speaking, if the U.S. was a consumer John Doe or Jane Doe, uh, they should get like a F or the worst rating that you can get. Um, but it just seems kind of comical that all of a sudden that the rating agency at Fitch, I'm sorry about that. My dog was going nuts. Uh, but yeah, that the, the fact that the rating agency is going to downgrade our debt a few days after the Bank of Japan announces that they're going to potentially let the yield controls, um, be more flexible so that, you know, their currency could finally rise uh, for once in like a century, so they could maybe they too can come out of inflation and start paying off their debt. Uh, you know, obviously that's not good for the carry trade. And if you've missed the last episode, 
What happens with the carry trade is if you are a hedge fund or a Wall Street firm, you spend billions of dollars shorting the yen, the Japanese yen, right? Because they're printing like no other country for years, for decades. You short the yen, the money you're making on that, you go long equities or you go long risk. If the yen starts to rise, that blows up that trade, right? And then you get a call. Um, and you blow up. So the other problem is if the yen rises, the dollar falls, impacting inflation, and inflation goes up. So our government and our Federal Reserve does not want that to happen. So what if, I have no proof, what if someone instructed Fitch to do this downgrade? giving leeway to the Federal Reserve and Yellen and our country to keep rates higher, longer than anybody wants in the guise of, hey, we need to protect the reserve currency. You guys earn money in U.S. dollars. We have to make sure the U.S. dollar does not go down, right? Because if the U.S. dollar, extreme case, halves, right? Everything that we buy is double the price, impacting inflation. So this is why it's so important for you to have a pulse on what's going on in the currency markets. And this episode, I'm going to probably call it, you know, the begun has the currency wars, as Yoda would say. And right now, everyone is trying to fight inflation around the world. Um, in addition, in this backdrop, you have the BRIC countries uh, jockeying, saying that they're going to start transacting off the U.S. dollar and in their own currencies or a new currency backed by physical assets. Again, that is horrible news if you print and manage the U.S. dollar. And in history, if you, if you study it, all reserve currency transitions happen with first a cold war then a shooting war most reserve currencies do not let go voluntarily they will fight and fight physically to keep that reserve currency uh, if you look at the history of world war one world war two uh, when amsterdam had uh, the reserve currency uh, well before that with global trade uh, it is just a repetitive um, pattern in history that you really need to kind of tune in. If you don't know uh, anything about currencies, I urge you to read more about it. There's tons of great books uh, and even free resources online. I uh, hope I didn't go too off on a tangent, but that was the big news today. Everyone on you know CNBC and Bloomberg uh, were marching on to television defending the U.S. dollar, saying that uh, Fitch is crazy. Fitch is unwarranted. Even Yellen came out and said, you know, they're doing this at random. Uh, they're not even using relevant data. U.S. is on strong footing. So the more people that defend the situation, there might be fire where there is smoke. Uh, so this is something to really watch out for. And as I've been saying, currencies impact everything. Uh, the price of pretty much all assets. Um, let's see, what else stuck out? I saw a headline today. I did a ton of reading today because I knew 
the day was going to just go red all day and I tried to find some other content that I thought not many people were covering. But I did see that Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan had commented about this new facility or requirement where banks, eight large banks, are facing an increase of about 19% for their deposit holdings um, or capital mandates. And Diamond was very critical, obviously. He said, Diamond has long been critical of such hikes, calling a looming increase for J.P. Morgan bad for America. At a pair of congressional hearings last year, uh, on a conference call last month, he said non-bank rivals such as hedge funds and private equity firms are dancing in the streets over tightening regulations for banks. And this is kind of true, but we're going to have to look at this, right? I don't bank at a hedge fund. I don't bank at a private equity fund. Um, so if these capital requirements that are increasing 90% are hurting our banks, you're going to have to watch the bank shares. Right. And to his point, um, there is a great interview at Bloomberg and, and I'll post the link on the show notes of Paul Tobman from um, PJT Partners. He used to be at Morgan Stanley. Uh, he talks a little bit about the growth in PJT. They specialize in mergers and acquisitions. And he said they're hiring. While everyone's on the hiring freeze or laying people off in investment banking, they are hiring uh, as, as fast as they can where it makes sense. And he believes that there is going to be, because we're so much into the trough at the low of less deals getting done, uh, very similar to 2008, he feels it can only go up from here. And the M&A activity and the private equity deals are going to start to accelerate. And I agree with him in the basis that a lot of the corporations who refinance their corporate debt when interest rates were low, they're going to come due in the next 3 to 18 months. And all of those companies who are running out of cash, especially after the whole SVB fiasco, and, and you know, I have yet to share my experience at the SoftBank Vision Fund Company, but I was front row to that SVB collapse. I literally had meetings with SVB that week that they collapsed, and it was just a scramble uh, for, for payroll, like right? Like just to have cash on hand. Um, but once the doo-doo hits the fan, private equity they're going to descend upon all of these companies, public or private. And you have not probably heard too much of this, but it's called the down round. And you're going to hear this everywhere, where you see companies uh, basically having to take money to survive, but at much lower valuations. So let's say, for example, you're a high-flying sales CRM application that's worth, you know, you, you're privately held, you're, you're based in Silicon Valley. You, the last uh, Series C, you raised $300 million at X valuation. I don't know, $500 million valuation. Uh, the next round for some of these guys is going to be uh, they're going to raise $100 million 
at 70 million valuation. Uh, and there's going to be a huge haircut. And a lot of these M&A and private equity raiders are going to have a field day. Uh, I'll post that interview. I thought that was a very interesting interview. I actually heard it um, while I was running an errand, and it was streaming on Bloomberg uh, TV. And I thought that was really very, it really was interesting. Uh, I, I would love to see uh, a follow-up to that from Paul Tubman and maybe like someone like uh, Daniel DiMartino Booth. And just kind of do, kind of uh, battle it out, kind of uh, their viewpoints. Um, a ton of earnings after hours today. Um, I'm not going to co- be able to cover everything, but you had a few swimming upstreams in the sea of red, right? I want to always put these on watch lists because if they're able to go up in a day like today, that's significant. So, uh, although I don't understand the business of Carvana, CVNA, they actually finished up today. Uh, I know it was green during the intraday. Let me just pull up their chart and see where they closed. They closed up 5.5% today. I don't know why, but that, that's notable. Extreme Networks, as I mentioned earlier, uh, they reported great earnings or earnings that were well-received. They finished up 8.5% today and they've been on a tear so i am going to listen to the earnings call uh again i don't think the earnings call makes a big of a difference uh the stock is going to move regardless but i like to do it because i just geek out on it i love to hear the leadership sell me their story because at the end they're selling a story and i'm always interested how ceos do that and and how they frame this up for the street Another company that closed up, uh, one of my favorite companies that I use quite a bit. Uh, if you travel in the airport, like if you travel by flying and you go to the airport, you probably know the name Clear. Their ticker symbol is U, as in Y-O-U. And that's the company that you see people cutting the line of uh, even um, TSA pre-check folks. I love that line. Um, you just basically do a retina scan, and uh, it's all verified, and you skip the line. Uh, they're up 5.37 today. I don't know why. I'll, I'll dig in a little bit more. I'm not even. I think they reported earnings. I'll listen to that just to hear their story as well. But you know, in the longer term chart, it, it's kind of bearish. Okay, like they were as high as like 65 at one point at all time high. And they close at $23.95 today. But it's carving out a very long base from December 2021 to August, to now. So basically two years. And that range is anywhere from 20 bucks to 35 bucks. And it's just kind of ping-ponging back and forth. Uh, just random chop. Uh, but... It is now above 50-day and the 200-day moving average. Um, Keep it on your radar, ticker symbol Y-O-U. Not a large company, but uh, one of my favorite brands I like to actually use in my real life that makes life easier. Um, But if Clear is able to clear 35 bucks. It's going to run. 
it's going to break out. It might like, if it can get to 35, it'll break out, back test, hopefully, and then fly. Or it'll just break out and fail. But keep this one on your radar. Um, let's see. Uh, Dash, DoorDash was up after earnings, after hours. What was weak? Qualcomm, very big name, down 2% after hours on earnings. Etsy, down 2.5%. It beat, but guides low. PayPal, down 3% after earnings today. Wix was up after earnings. I saw that, but then it closed. It, it, it just reversed right away after the earnings call. Uh, Wix is now down 5% after our earnings. Affirm Holdings, the buy now, pay later. Crap-ass idea company, down 9%. I'm sorry, it's not a crap-ass company. It's... I feel bad for the consumers that don't know any better that are using that. Uh, Robinhood down 3.5%. Um, they actually beat all expectations, but I think there was comments that they're losing users, which is not good. If you're a trading platform, they're down 3.5% after hours. Zillow was up initially after earnings, but now they're down 1.9%. So that's a that's a nothing burger in my eyes. It could Who knows what will happen tomorrow. Um it's definitely interest rate sensitive. Uh, and Shopify, a very big name, high flyer, is down 7% uh, during the day. But after hours, it's kind of wishy-washy after their earnings. So let's see how that opens. And again, I want to remind you all, Shopify was as high as like 162. And it fell to like 20s uh, during the last sell-off. So down like what 90 percent and then from there it's been on a rip tear up and it closed today at 62 dollars so it's you know yeah if you bought it at 20 uh you would have three extra money in a few months but if you bought this at 160 you're still down uh quite a bit so be careful with these kind of names um let's see what happens after a few more sessions, right? It's only one day. It's nothing to panic about. The levels that I shared on the ES slash S&P um, 500 um, on the other podcast still holds true, you know? I think it was like 41.85 on the ES um, until prices can break 41.85. On the last breakout, we're in bull mode, right? Everything is a back test. Like, f- f- who knows? Like, you know, we could f- still sell off a few hundred points or maybe like a hundred points on on the ES. And all we'll be doing is testing the 50-day MA at 40.83. There's nothing to panic about yet. Um, but you don't want to be blind to the macro conditions of currencies, bonds, um interest rates, the 10-year yield, uh, the consumer, how in the world are home builders selling homes today? All of these macro things you have to keep a pulse on because they will give you the clues as to when things are starting to turn. Um, The last thing I really have for you today, I saw something that my good friend uh, Tim Knight at Slope of Hope posted on, on X or Twitter. It's a Wall Street bets subset, like subgroup 
where you know people are like doom scrolling on bad trades. You tell me, is this real or are people making this up? This guy Poppy Harlow ninety two saying he lost three hundred and seventy five thousands on on Shopify today. He loaded up on some type of bet, maybe call options, zero day expiration. I don't know. But he lost all his money, and he's like asking for help. He's having a mental breakdown. He may do something harmful to himself. Like, how does this happen? Where are people getting this YOLO mentality from treating the stock market like DraftKings or Dungeons and Dragons and going all in their life savings on zero day expiration options? Like, I don't get it. You tell me in the comments, is this real or are they just clickbaiting, making stories up, faking balances uh, of screenshots on their trading accounts? I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I sometimes feel like the cynic in me says this is all made up stories just to get clicks. Uh, But you guys tell me. Uh, I'm sorry I ran a little bit longer today, uh, but uh, I had a lot to cover. Hope you have a great day. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.